All right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. We're back. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, ready to rock for episode 30, looking at the January 8th, 1996 episodes of Raw and Nitro. The reason for the delay, if you haven't been keeping score at home, is since the English Premier League was bought out by a telco company over here, Optus, we've had to join our internet up with them to watch the Premier League, and we are now six months in and four dead modems through Optus. So if anybody lives in Australia, help me give a big hearty fuck you to Optus for ruining not only my football viewing, but my ability to record this fine show for you good people. Anywho, all rants aside, we are a week into 1996, and can we see the momentum shift? That's what we're here to find out now. Is wrestling about to go back on the big upswing? If you go on the WWE Network to watch these shows, Nitro is correctly listed as January 8th, 1996, but for some reason, Raw is listed as January 9th. I'm assuming that was just a bit of a typo when putting the episodes up in chronological order. Nitro drew a 2.8 on this week, and Raw drew a 3.0, so Raw takes the gong as far as the ratings go, but is that going to be enough to give them the win here? There's only really one way to find out, so we're going to head straight over to Raw and have a look at what they did to win this battle. The Night Raw opens up with a bit of a hype video about the Shawn Michaels press conference narrated by Jerry Lawler and Vince McMahon. Jerry Lawler tells us that we will see the return of billionaire Ted, and Vince McMahon reminds us that we're going to see the replay of the main event from In Your House, the British Bulldog taking on Bret the Hitman Hart for the heavyweight title. The eagle-eyed or eagle-eared listeners out there will recognize that we've moved on to a new Raw theme as well, um, with the classic one that I remember from the Sega and Nintendo video games. That being said, we're here for the action, and we get uh, started with a pretty decent match to begin with, in my opinion, coming in. We've got Hakushi taking on Double J, Jeff Jarrett. We see an action shot of a kid in the crowd as the entrances are happening, and he's got a shirt on that says on the front, Ain't I Great? I didn't realize they sold Jeff Jarrett merchandise, and no, swerve, he got me. He turns around, and on the back of the shirt, it says, not. Classic 90s humour. You can't beat it really, can you? Jeff Jarrett's outfit is especially hideous on this evening. He's got his um, classic attire with, you know, the the lines um, joining uh, sort of the singlet to the the long pants, but with the... um, the lines of fabric with skin showing in between. This one in particular, though, isn't just white or one colour. It's actually sort of an animal zebra print over the vertical stripes, so it really does hurt the eyes. I'm struggling to describe it. You should definitely go and check this one out for yourself. The match opens... uh, Sorry, the match gets underway, and Jeff Jarrett gets on offence early with a nice slam and his typical double J strut before Hakushi fires back with a good leg sweep, a shoulder block off the top, a drop kick, and Jeff Jarrett decides to have a bit of a breather on the outside. When we come back in, Jeff Jarrett does get back on the offense and hits a nice short clothesline before we go to a commercial break. When we come back, he's been working an abdominal stretch and holding onto the ropes, and Jerry Lawler's trying to use all the raw bowl puns, but Vince is having none of it this week because he's obviously realized how shit that was last week. Jeff Jarrett hits a little bit of an awkward offensive move going, I think it was a swinging neck breaker, but he didn't didn't look as though he was sure whether he was going for that or a DDT, and it kind of ended up somewhere in between. Hakushi fires back with a spin kick, and then Vince McMahon says to us, Hakushi is able to mix it up on a European-style basis, certainly on a Japanese-style basis. 
I don't think those words actually make a formidable sentence there, Vince, but that's okay. It's classic Vince commentary. Hakushi then misses a drop kick, which puts him down for a two count, and then he misses a crossbody, which also puts him down for a two count. So Jeff Jarrett's best offense here is just getting out the way of anything Hakushi does. Um, we've got a kid in the front row who's really distracting the shit out of me here because he's just sat there staring with his mouth wide open, and it's one of my pet hates. So if you do ever watch this episode of Raw, not that I'm going to strongly recommend it at this point, that's something to look out for as well. Hakushi hits a little bit of a soft-looking spin kick to the stomach of Jeff Jarrett, following it up with a chop and the China-patented handspring elbow, and then a flinging thrust to the throat for a two-count. A slam and a springboard splash, which Jeff Jarrett gets his knees up on, locks in the figure four, and makes Hakushi tap out clean as a whistle. Jeff Jarrett gets a victory to open up Raw. Little bit of a surprise result there, but Hakushi certainly on the way back down here. Um, his star burned out pretty quickly in the WWF before moving on to Pastures Anew. We get Jim Ross backstage in the Doc Hendricks role of hyping up the upcoming pay-per-view and current events, and we get introduced to a longer version of the Vader hype video we saw last week, and we get told that we're going to see Scheme Gene, who Jim Ross does then throw to, and he says, I've got some information about the Royal Rumble. I can't give it to you now, but I can give it to you later, mocking Mean Gene's hotline antics over on Nitro. Uh, by the way, the Ross report, just to date it, square in the middle of the 90s, was called the Slam Jam. We then go to our second contest, which is Ahmed Johnson up against Jeff Gretler, I believe they pronounced it. Hard to see. Um, and he appears to be wearing um, some curtains as tights. It's really a hideous attire that Jeff Gretler's got on there. Ahmed Johnson takes n- wastes no time, comes out with a huge throw, a clothesline, a pretty cool-looking scissor kick, followed by a really shit-looking scissor pump kick. Uh, I hate when he does that move. It never connects properly. Followed by a spine buster and a Pearl River plunge for a three count. Um, just basically dominates the jobber and puts him down immediately, which is the Ahmed Johnson way of doing it. Jeff Jarrett comes in, goes for a sneak attack, but gets caught. Uh, Ahmed Johnson basically spins around and catches him, so he gets out the ring and heads away. He did, however, leave behind his trusty guitar, so Ahmed Johnson takes it upon himself to beat the shit out of the guitar. We then get told that next week we're going to see a big matchup, The Undertaker, up against Isaac Yankum DDS. So for those of you keeping score, a very early incarnation of The Undertaker versus Kane. We're also going to get Owen Hart up against Mighty Jannetty, and we're told that's going to be a high-flying contest. So looking forward to both those matches in fairness. We go to a commercial break and we come back for the Brother Love Show. He is out with Ted DiBiase, and holy shit, it's a debut of The Ringmaster. Ted DiBiase brings out Steve Austin to introduce him as his new million-dollar champion. At no point do they call him Steve Austin, which is a little bit weird. I know they called him the ringmaster, but I didn't know they were going to try and drop his name altogether. Um, He's wearing green tights and white boots, which is a little bit jarring to see. I know he didn't always wear all black, but it's hard to remember a time in the WWF where he had anything on but black pants, black knee pads, black boots. Um, they cut a bit of a promo about how he's a new million-dollar champion, he's a master of the ring, etc. And then Austin himself cuts a little bit of a promo, which is, again, something that took me by surprise, because all the books I've read suggested that Vince didn't want Austin to talk, hence the partnership with DiBiase. But he cuts a really good promo, introducing himself to the audience. So, good segment, and looking forward to a lot more Steve Austin, obviously, in the upcoming shows. We take another break, and when we come back, it is time for Goldust up against the Portuguese Mano War, Aldo Montoya. 
Gold Duster tucks Aldo Montoya from behind straight away. Hits a nice back suplex and a re really big clothesline. Aldo Montoya does attempt to mount some offense of his own, hitting a backdrop, but it doesn't last long, and Goldust hooks him up in the curtain call for the 1-2-3. Essentially a squash match for Goldust, up against the future just incredible for anyone keeping score at home. We then go back to Jim Ross's Slam Jam, who throws it to Shawn Michaels and his big press conference. He plays up the fact that this injury should keep him out of the sport and he's going to retire, but then swerves everybody by entering the Royal Rumble. We go to Scheme Gene, who says, call the hotline for another big name. And then when they force him to tell him who the name was, he admits that it was Vader, who we already knew about. So that was actually pretty funny. Um, and we get a little bit of an old-school Royal Rumble promo rounds of a few of the current superstars. But instead of just talking about 29 other superstars, throw them all over the top rope, go to WrestleMania, they each take turns telling Shawn Michaels he shouldn't be entering the Rumble. So that's a little bit of a unique twist on the old Rumble promos there that I enjoyed. From there, we go to Brett the Hitman Hart up against the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith. And if you want a complete rundown of that matchup, go back and listen to the In Your House 5 episode that was only a few back here on the show. Um, I went through it in great detail, so I'll be completely honest, I skipped it. I'm not going to watch it you know, twice within three shows here. There's no point whatsoever. When we come out of that match, I did watch the last dregs of Raw, though. Paul Bear and The Undertaker cut a little bit of a promo wanting the WWE title. And then we wrapped up the episode with Billionaire Ted's wrestling War Room. And right now, here comes Billionaire Ted's bombshell. Okay, guys, we need a new slogan for our wrestling show. How about uncut, uncensored, uncooked? Ah, no, we, we've already stolen that one. How about ripping off unbelievable? You know, like, not believable. Yeah, like Ted's wrestling is not believable. Boys, this is no time to start telling the truth. We really need something original this time. How about this is where the good old boys play? Or even just the old boys play. Who are you calling old, brother? What did I just tell you guys? This is no time to start telling the truth. Yes. Not Joe Man. Let's lie. How about this is where the big boys play? Yeah. Ah, I like that. Yeah, it's just dishonest enough to work. But what if all our stars have to take a legitimate drug test for steroids? <laughs> you don't have to worry about that, brother, because we're not in the WWF anymore. Yes, this uh, says where the big boys play. The new WWF generation. There's nothing old or artificial here. So that wraps up Monday Night Raw with some more billionaire Ted shenanigans. Let's go over and check out the competition and see if Nitro had a better answer than the petty name calling going on on Raw now.
Monday Nitro came to us from Charleston, South Carolina, and opens up to a bit of a weird visual. It's all the pyro going off, but the camera is on Nick Patrick walking to the ring, so it looks as though the referee's coming down to his own signature pyro show, which was kind of funny. The commentary team is Steve Mongo McMichael, Bobby Lebrain Heenan, and Eric Bischoff, and Pepe is wearing a bomber jacket this week for those keeping score at home. We open up the wrestling with Chris Benoit up against Alex Wright in a match that I'm quite looking forward to. Uh, Benoit, of course, comes out with Brian Pillman, his horseman stable mate at the moment. They're sort of doing a little bit of a running thing where Pillman and uh, Benoit are together and Flair and Anderson are together as sort of two teams within the horsemen. And it's kind of a a decent little storyline that has some potential there. Benoit opens up immediately going on the attack on Alex Wright. Hits a lovely snap suplex, fires him off the ropes and hits him with a nice back elbow and northern light suplex also and picks up a two count there. Uh, Pillman works over Alex Wright on the floor, uh, throws him back inside. Benoit gets some nice chops and punches before Alex Wright gets on the offense with a nice jumping leg lariat, a crossbody, and then slingshots Benoit over the ropes. It was a little bit botched. He had him in the wrong position before realizing what he was doing. Had to adjust position. Then hit him with a baseball slide and a crossbody to the floor from the top turnbuckle, which was kind of cool. Hits a nice drop kick on the inside and a slam for a two count. And Bischoff tells us on commentary that Titanic Sports are charging more for their pay-per-views, but we're going to bring you the best action this month for free. Alex Wright locks in a Boston Crab in the ring. Uh, suplex for a two count before Brian Pillman grabs his leg distracting Alex Wright, who then comes over the top rope with a plunger to Pillman. Um, Benoit gets his knees up on a splash. They exchange some suplex attempts, both sort of jockeying for position with back waist locks, before Benoit nails him with a lovely dragon suplex, which was his finisher at this point in time, for the one, two, and the three. Bischoff gives us a weird line on commentary, talking about all the interference and stuff from Pillman, saying, that don't be surprised if you don't see Brian Pillman here in WCW much longer. So I'm starting to get the feeling of the loose cannon angle going on here, where Bischoff knows that Pillman is going to take off, but does expect him to come back. The opening contest wasn't too bad, but it wasn't as good as I thought it could be, considering the talent involved. And that's going to lead us into our next match, which is another one I've got high expectations for coming in, and that's Lord Stephen Regal up against Eddie Guerrero. The match opens up with a lot of back and forth mat and chain wrestling. Um, Really good switches, but it does tend to go just a little bit too long. Mongo McMichael on commentary tells us to get all about that, forget all about that royal fumble. So they're really going into anti-WWF overdrive here. The war's getting a little bit nasty and there could be some good stuff to come because of it. They're still going with the chain wrestling and the mat wrestling, jockeying for position, exchanging two counts on pin attempts, but nothing really going on until Regal goes for a butterfly suplex and Guerrero flies out of it with a nice arm drag, comes off the ropes with a nice hurricane rana and a drop kick before they go back to exchanging two counts in different pinning combinations. Regal finally gets jacked of all of this and just puts a thumb in Guerrero's eye to take over control, then nails him with a nasty-looking European uppercut and starts to put Guerrero on the mat with some wear-down holds. Eddie Guerrero fires back with a drop kick when he does get back on offense, and then with Regal pummeling Guerrero after the, the hope spot there, Guerrero just sort of fires out a backslide and picks up the 1-2-3. Regal looks dumbfounded because he'd been dominating him, and he does lamp Guerrero a couple more times before having a little bit of a moan into the camera as we go to a commercial break. So two for two there, matches I really expect a lot of, expected a lot out of. And while they've been okay, neither of them have really been stellar, which is a little bit disappointing and could be a story for the night here for Nitro on this evening. We come out of commercial break, and we've got the commentary team chatting to us about the night's events so far. And I notice here Bobby Heenan is wearing a really hideous checkered jumper. It looks like he's got a bunch of kitchen tiles 
um, in fabric material, so it's pretty horrible. We've then got Gene Oakland interviewing Sting and Lex Luger. Sting's trying to talk to Luger about what happened in the triangle match at the previous pay-per-view. He doesn't seem to want to talk about it. Gene says that we've got um, guys in their prime here, and the new generation have just added a couple of guys close to Social Security. Bit of the pot calling the kettle black, um, but I'll check over the other side uh, in the weeks to come and see exactly who Gene was talking about here. Wondering if it could be maybe Dory Funk who's entering the Royal Rumble. Not quite sure there. Uh, Sting's trying to pester Lex, as I said, about the triangle match, and he's avoiding the question. But then he basically just asks Sting if they want to become a tag team. Um, Sting says he's never thought about it before, but they could make a good team, and they agree to make a permanent tag team and leave. We get a quick um, Saturday night ad, as is the custom here on Nitro at this point in time, and they say we're getting part two of an interview with Mike Gitcher, who's an NFL analyst and former player, and then they casually say, oh yeah, and a return match for the WCW heavyweight title, the Macho Man up against Ric Flair. So priorities a little bit out of order there for Saturday night. Still could be a good show. We go to a commercial break, and when we come back, it's time for our next contest, which is Diamond Dallas Page up against Sting. This is one of my bugbears of early Nitro. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast so far, but I hate that Gene Oakland interviews guys on the ramp. They then go backstage and immediately come back out for a match. It just seems so stupid to me. Occasionally, they'll just leave Gene and go to the ring for their match, which I'm okay with, but the whole going back and waiting for your music just seems really like a bit of a waste of time. DDP gets on the offense early as I struggle to breathe there, sorry, um, and hits a nice swinging neck breaker for a two count before locking in a chin lock on Sting, which he really works over for a while. It's not just a brief wear down here. Um, he does work it pretty well, actually, as well. We get a close-up of DDP working over the chin lock, and I notice that he's got a whopping big hunk of spit on his chin, so he probably needs a little bit of a wipe there when he gets free. Um, he's working the chin lock for a while, putting his feet on the ropes, trying to keep it away from the referee. Eventually, Sting fires up, gets out of the chin lock with a jawbreaker, hits a nice inverted atomic drop and a drop kick. Sting a splash and goes to lock on the Scorpion Deathlock, but he's right next to the ropes. So DDP just grabs a hold. Um, then he gets up and he gets back on offense, but hits another swinging neck breaker for a two count. So in a two or three minute match, you really don't want so many repeated spots. Hits a small package for a two count before Sting gets a hold of him, puts on the Scorpion Deathlock and wins a match before going to a commercial. So... DDP hit three moves in this match, two neck breakers and a chin lock. Um, he's definitely going to hit his stride soon, but some of his matches around this time were still pretty clunky. We get told coming into the main event as well that the Clash of the Champions will be back on the 23rd of January in Las Vegas. So that's what they're talking about when they say they're going to give us free action this month and the WWF has increased their pay-per-view prices. I don't think this is long for this world, the Clash of the Champions. I think they mostly go pay-per-view every month sometime this year if it's not february then it's certainly later on in the year we then go to our main event which is hulk hogan up against and sorry along with the macho man randy savage up against rick flair and arn anderson from hulk and macho come out now hulk's music plays they they have a light effect which is all pictures of hulk hogan being flashed onto the the entrance ramp in a signature pose think the bat signal but with a picture of hulk hogan and they come out in red and yellow, and the Macho Man just comes out to this Hulk Hogan entrance. Now, this is a guy that, up until two weeks ago, was the heavyweight champion of the company. Hogan overshadowed his entire title reign. That's not an exaggeration. Every show, Hogan outshone him. And now Macho coming out, being treated like a bitch, coming out to Hogan's music and Hogan's colors with Hogan's lighting effect. 
this once again awards Hulk Hogan our dick move of the week. It's getting to the point here where the Hulkster's going to have to take some sort of honourable mention Hall of Fame gong out of this show because he's just an absolute dick, particularly savage. Um, Macho Man is an A-plus guy. He's a top-of-the-mountain talent. He's right up there with the best of the best, in my opinion. Um, Hulk was the biggest draw. No doubt Hulk was number one. But Savage, in many other eras, could have been number one. And when he ran with the title, things never went down. The best-selling pay-per-view, I believe, of Hulk's era was the Mega Powers exploding. And despite Hulk's narrative where he would be so selfless with anyone that would put him over. You know, think back to when he'd say if Roddy Piper had ever put him over, then they would have traded the belt back and forth three or four times. What a load of shit. Savage put him over clean in the middle of WrestleMania 5, turned heel so Hulk could come back and get the triumphant victory. Do you think Hogan ever put Savage over once in his career? Absolutely not. If Hulk Hogan's lips are moving, he's lying. And I've no problem with anybody that listens to the show being a Hulkamaniac, loving the Hulkster. He certainly had a lot of great moments in the industry. But my God, he is so selfish. He's an absolute dick when it comes to sharing the spotlight with anyone other than himself. Anywho, rant over. We're going to go into the match. And all four competitors are sort of stalling at the start. And I noticed that 75% of WCW's main event are extremely bald. So Gene Oakland, I wouldn't be talking too much about social security on Raw when your main event all look like they're ready to put their slippers on and sit down for a good brew. My other note here is I bet one of the horsemen jobs to Hulk Hogan in this match. Let's see if that one comes to fruition as we go. Flair and the Hulks to start. Flair runs straight into Hogan's shoulder and bounces off him. They do a little bit of chain wrestling, jockeying for position on the floor. Hogan no-sells some chops, so Flair comes back with the thumb to the eye. Hogan then puts the big boot and a clothesline to both Arn Anderson and Ric Flair, slams them both, and he's just dominating the pair of them, making them both look pretty weak in the process. He's also putting his finger on his nose and waving faces at them on the outside like your dad would do to you when you were four or five years old. It's pretty lame, so that's what's going on here. Arn Anderson and the Macho Man then tag into the match, and my note straight away says this is now the heel's chance to get some offense because Hogan's on the outside. And sure enough, uh, Macho Man's struggling to jockey for position with Arn Anderson, who's on the apron at this point, and Hulk just walks down the apron and puts a big boot to Arn. So Macho Man struggles, Hogan just comes along and saves the day. Macho Man then takes this opportunity to come from the top rope to the floor with a double axe handle, throws Anderson back in and comes off the top rope with another double axe handle before Flair saves Arn and Hulk runs in, grabs a hold of Flair and pulls his pants down, bearing his ass to the world. Flair tags in and the Macho Man catches him on the top rope and sends him off for the press slam. Before Macho puts a figure four on Ric Flair, Arn comes in for the save and Hulk puts a figure four on Arn. Flair puts a thumb to the eye of the Macho Man. Arn Anderson hits a DDT and with the three count looming, Hulk Hogan jumps in and saves Savage. Flair tosses Macho Man over the top rope. Arn Anderson works him over for a few seconds before tossing him back in and we've got a commercial break. When we come back in, we had a we've got a little bit of a weird segue in and out there sorry um it's hard to tell as they're flashing through the crowd whether this is after or before the commercial it's just a bit of an odd sort of a misstep in production let's put it that way when we come back from the commercial however we do have Arn with an abdominal stretch on savage flair comes in and works over macho man a little bit as well hits a lovely back suplex on savage and hulk hogan once again saves the macho man 
The heels take turns all over Savage. He does get a few hope spots with a nice backslide for a two count before Flair drills in with a knee breaker. Macho Man then gets a couple of small packages on Flair, each get, uh, earning him a two count before hitting the hot tag to Ultra Babyface Hulk Hogan. Hulk comes in and pummels both the heels with clotheslines, handily dispatching of them both. Takes Arn Anderson's spinebuster and immediately pops up, no selling it. Just ruins every match he's in. I can't stand it. Anywho, he then hits the boot, hits a leg drop. The other horsemen, Benoit and Pillman, come out to seemingly make the save, but the Dungeon of Doom are hot on their heels and they grab a hold of them, preventing them. So Hulk gets the one, two, the three. And that's the end of the match. Giant, however, comes in with the Horseman and the Dungeon of Doom brawling around the outside and chokeslams Hogan. He really struggles to get him up. He tried to do it with both hands on Hogan's neck, one front and one back, and there's no way the Hulk's just jumping for you there, Giant. Silly move. He sort of can't get him off the floor, so then decides he's going to have to put one arm under Hulk Hogan's arm and gets him up for the chokeslam. Grabs a hold of Savage in the same weird position, but Savage is athletic, so he goes up for the ride and takes a big chokeslam, and the commentators talk about how huge that chokeslam was. No mention of how shitty the one on Hogan was. Zodiac then comes in and stops the giant from doing any more damage to Savage and Hogan. Not in a saving them kind of way, but like a that's enough for today kind of way. He and Jimmy Hart take the dragon, uh, take the dragon, take the giant away. Ricky Steamboat was not involved in this. Don't worry about that at all. And that ends Nitro. So couple of um, big angles on the go at once there in the main event. The Dungeon of Doom up against the Horsemen and the Mega Maniacs also up against the Horsemen as well. Sorry, Mega Powers. Mega Maniacs was Warrior and Savage. I'm struggling with my words today. Um, you can tell it's been a couple of weeks since I did this, so my apologies. That'll do it for the show anyway. We're going to ring the bell and find out who came out better here, Raw or Nitro. We're going to start with production value because WCW just had a couple of missteps that I didn't really love. Um, one in particular, Sting going backstage after his interview to immediately be introduced for a match. And the weird segue coming into the commercial break during the main event. Uh, Raw didn't really have any missteps, so they've taken the nod on production value. It's a pretty tight race there, to be honest. There's not really much in it week to week. Characters, I went with WCW. Raw failed to feature The Undertaker in anything meaningful, a 30-second promo. There was no Bret Hart, no Diesel. Shawn Michaels was just doing a press conference. Uh, no Razor Ramon, no Sid, no 123 Kid. You can go down the list. There's a lot of guys missing from Raw. Um, Bret Hart and the Bulldog were obviously featured, but not live on the show either. So WCW got most of their main players on the show. Sting, Luger, Hogan, Savage, Flair, The Horsemen, so... Definitely WCW takes the nod there when it comes to characters. Storylines, WCW also takes the nod. They had a couple on the go during the main event, as, was, as well as a few threaded throughout the evening. It wasn't too big of a win, though, because Raw did advance to Shawn Michaels entering the Rumble, which is going to be one of their main stories going forward. Sadly, they just failed to advance anything with Bret Hart, with Diesel, or Razor Ramon, or any of the other main stars on the show. Crowd heat, we went with WCW as well, because Raw was really only half a show, and the three matches that were on there were one mid-carder against lower mid-carder and two squash matches, so the crowd didn't really have anything to sink their teeth into on Raw. That leads us into match quality, and obviously WCW gets a nod as well. Um, if you haven't figured it out by now, I'm not counting the Bulldog and Bret Hart towards any of the lists here, because I've already watched it and I've already rated it. So the three matches that actually aired on Raw... For, for the first time, nothing in any of them. WCW's matches let me down a little bit. It wasn't a great show. If you'd have told me at the start of watching this that Benoit was going to fight Alex Wright, Regal, Eddie Guerrero, DDP versus Sting, and 
mega powers up against four horsemen. I'd have thought this was going to be one of the most amazing nitros I've ever watched. Instead, it turned out to be passable, but not much more than that. This entire week of Raw and Nitro, if you haven't figured out by my tone, was a little bit lackluster. Um, certainly not the instant spring into action that I hope 1996 would bring. Instead, it's more of a gradual upswing, better characters, less lame crap going on. I think it's probably going to take us most of the way through this year for the quality to really improve. I'm hoping midway through the year when a certain big angle kicks off in WCW that we might see a bit more of a quality turn with it as well. That'll do it for this show. Um, Again, apologies for the delay. Internet troubles have given me some hell, but hopefully we're going to get back on track. We're a little bit behind schedule now, so we've got a few more Raw and Nitros to come in 1996 before we get to the big Royal Rumble Clash of the Champions episode that hopefully Carl is going to join me for. Uh, Richie and myself are going to go into a flashback in time all the way back to WrestleMania 4 up against what I believe was the first Clash of the Champions, so that'll be an interesting one coming up in the next few weeks as well. And then I promise we will get started on some of the film reviews too break up the monotony of Raw and Nitro as well. Uh, as always, do catch me on Twitter where most of you interact with me. I do enjoy talking to everybody on Twitter. I reply to pretty much everything. If I haven't, feel free to call me out on that. Um, if you're on Facebook, do give us a like on Facebook. The page hasn't really done much as of yet, but Facebook gives us the option to do a few more things and some write-ups that Twitter doesn't really let us do. So if we get a few followers on that, we will start to use that for some more things down the line. Would certainly love to see you all on there and feel free to chat to me on there as well. Um, Just gives you a little bit more freedom in a few other things. As always, we are on the hunt for five-star reviews. The show's listenership has gone through the roof this month. Um, I'm noticing... I wake up and I've not put a show out for a week and we've had 50 plus listens in a day. That's pretty cool. Um, certainly the num- a few records have been broken for biggest days, biggest weeks, and we broke biggest month in January as well. So thank you to everybody that's coming on board recently. Best way to help the show is to get, give us a five-star review on iTunes. That's where most of the people listen to the show. Um, if you've already done so and you still want to help out, please grab your partner's phone and make them leave me a five-star review. Anyone that reads over them will see that my mum thinks the show is brilliant. So that's me grabbing her phone as well uh that'll do it also check us out on 4cr sorry i did forget to mention that um a couple of other good shows on there as well well worth checking out um i will speak to you all again hopefully within the next week and i will have plenty more shows to come so thank you as always for listening this is some of the lingua franca of the funk business and people come from miles around with an almost religious devotion to get on down So glad you're here, Schoolio with the flow back in your ear. This ain't a fantastic words, but I'm still on the mission. Let's see if I can get your attention. Now I want to drop some information, just a little attitude to your education. I live my life by the code of the front six hundred wide eighteens in the truck. When the motor street, you gotta feel my beat. So throw your hands up if you're down with the seat. Double O L I O with the flow. I'm looking for the body, so better nigga know. One two three, it's like A B C. If hip hop didn't pay, I'd rap for free. Slide, slide, but that's the Then nigga eat a poke chop.
forget it, girl. You know it don't stop. I break like any locks. Benny's drop from hood to hood, block to block. Yeah. I need somebody to get it going on in this party. Baby, you can do it, take your time, do it right. We can drink some, I can do it all damn night. My name ain't Wonder, but I rock the world. Get more boss than a cherry curl. Too many looking news, be looking for clues. There's a party going on now, what you gonna do? So grab your partner, do see dope. If you don't know who it is, it's Cooley Go. Slide, slide, but that's the path. I got something brand new for today. Shut the brother from around the way. Hear what I say? I've been a cone on be like Dr. Dre. Coming out of with a pattern and a fresh pair of atoms. I hope he don't trip, cause I don't wanna have to get him. So move your body, baby. Try to hold me crazy. The way you shake that ass, it always amazing. Ain't no party like a West Coast party, cause a West Coast party don't stop. So when you see a young nigga in a Chevy hitting switches, then you gotta get a nigga his spot. I got sides in my eyes and the motion for your ocean. Cooley yo got the potion. They get the party open. Slide, slide, but that's the path. I got something brand new for that. 